help me take this mask off. But you'll die. Nothing can stop that now. Just for once, let me look on you with my own eyes. you here. I've got to save you. You already have. Look. You were right. You were right about me. Tell your sister. You were right. Welcome everyone from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 478, Why We Love Return of the Jedi, Part 2. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt. And with me, the low gray to my wicket, we've got Carl LeClaire. <laughs> oh, thank you for making me low gray. I sure love that wise Ewok. You, you definitely do. And I am definitely the one who would probably hit myself in the head if I used a slingshot. So, um... Yeah, well, I, I we'll think, just leave it at that. I think that's quite true. Um, but uh, I certainly, la- <laughs> I certainly lack the wisdom of low gray, but I'll still take it. Um, <laughs> I am Jason. I'm so excited to to come back and finish off our conversation around uh, all these things we love about Return of the Jedi. Yeah, it, it, I had a great time last week when we started our list, and I'm super excited to finish it. So. Uh, it's it's been it's been fun revisiting this movie uh, and and reliving all of these moments and uh, it's funny because y- you've brought it up on our social media a couple times but it's also reminding me of us going out to the redwoods yeah. and having our fun out there a lot too so it's been like nice kind of dovetail that way so <laughs> yeah you know and the the thing is, Jason, um, I mean, I've always liked Return of the Jedi. It's 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 always been in a, a top five Star Wars movie for me. I think it's number five for me, actually, as it stands. It's fluctuated between four and five over the years. Um, but uh, when we went out to, you know, the northern redwoods there in northern California and, and did that little mockumentary about the Battle of Endor, it just it just made me love it in a totally different way. It didn't and it didn't necessarily make me like it more than anything I had before. But it just made me like, I don't know, gave me this whole new appreciation. And and I'm sure if, if any of you were listening, you've ever had the opportunity to go to a Star Wars filming location, whether it was in California or if you were lucky enough to go to Tunisia or, you know, our buddy Jazz has been up to northern Norway several times. Any of those places, I just feel like it, it just captures a different kind of magic for a Star Wars experience. Yeah, it almost makes it feel a little bit more real, mm-hmm. I guess, because it's like, you know, we actually and, you know, well, you can go back and see our, our pictures from a couple of years ago. We actually found the log um, that they, the speeder bikes uh, zipped underneath during the chase on Endor. And we took pictures on top of it and underneath it. And uh, it featured in our, our little mockumentary there. So that was really cool. You know, we walked around the little park that they used for the speeder bike chase. And that was 
fantastic. Yeah. Um, so it, it almost makes it feel like it's closer to home now. Sure. So. Yeah. Ever and you know, I I would say for me, um, the only part of Return of the Jedi that I've ever felt like kind of slows down to some of the stuff on Endor, and and I mean, I've I've always loved the Endor aspect, but it does slow down a bit when they first arrive, basically after the speeder bike chase ends till really until they become part of the tribe. It, it's a little bit of a slower pace, um, and. Those particular parts, though, have now become some of my favorites simply because of, like, just, it's like, I remember walking around here, and it was amazing. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah, I know. We we said it so many times when we were out there, like, I, we half expected an Ewok to just yes. pop out of the trees at some point. Yes. So, yeah. um, I, I, I was, yeah. I was telling a friend that the other day, I think I was telling Greg, because uh, I was saying, oh, you know, I just reposted that video we made several years ago and just uh, just kind of reminding me of the, how magical that experience was. And I was like, yeah, I, to this day, I just when we were walking around that day, I really thought I'd see an Ewok and not not a literal Ewok. I know Ewoks are not real. But what I honestly thought is I just could have I was just like, there's no way that there won't be at least one person dressed as an Ewok in these woods today. Like, of course, there has to be. And it just never happened. <laughs> right. Um, right. But, you know, I. Go on, go I, well, I, just, I thought it could like I really thought that was going to be a thing like I thought eventually we were going to come around a corner and boom there'd just be somebody dressed as an Ewok yeah yeah or or someone left like a stuffed Ewok in the woods or something you know just or oh, a, man. an action figure you I know? wish we had that would be uh, amazing yeah. it was well, if we ever get back there someday and I think we will we should do that we should leave like a couple of like Ewok toys just scattered in the in the trees and encourage people to find them <laughs> yeah. yeah that'd be um, awesome but leave, uh, leave a, an Ewok with like a, a Wampus Lair bookmark or something. Right, yeah. foot or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a great idea. I love it. Uh, um, so, well, last week we shared some of the, you know, some some of the elements of this particular movie we love. This week we're going to share some more of those things. Um, and Jason, I'm going to just kick it right off into, into full gear here and uh, call upon, of course, the Battle of Endor itself. Um, and I know that that's a grand concept, but that's okay. That's the point of a list like this. It's one of the things I love most about this movie. It's so much fun. It's a it's a, a three front battle essentially. You know, we've got the mm-hmm. the the space battle, we've got the land battle, and then of course we have the duel. Um, and all of them are different levels of epic. <laughs> to this day, right. though, I. Um, my favorite space battle of all time is still the space battle over Endor. And I, I, I certainly understand why people have kind of uh, shouted out the, the space battle over Scarif as being the best. Um, it, it certainly looks better. It's a movie that's like 30 years newer. Of course it looks better. <laughs> like that's silly. Um, but uh, at this, and obviously like I'm speaking out of, uh, out of the nostalgia lens of the return of the Jedi space battle, but I don't know. It's just that space battle is just so iconic. And I think everything about the Battle of Endor, um, again, all three aspects of it, is this really is everything coming to this huge climactic end. Um, It's kind of like the Battle of Yorktown in the American Revolution. Um, You know, just because the British surrendered and lost that battle, it didn't necessarily mean the war was over. But it did. Like, it ultimately it did. Mm -hmm. And that's what's true here is everybody that... Everyone who's anybody is at this battle. The emperor's there. The main fleet is there. If the rebels win this fight, they win everything. Um, and what I love about it, too, is this battle, because it's it, while it's exciting and fun that it's on these three fronts, but it's also uh, it, specifically the land and space battle are directly linked. The space battle cannot be successful until the land battle can can win the day. And uh, one of my favorite parts in the battle is when you know it, it becomes a it becomes apparent that the Death Star is operational. It's now a, a real threat, and Akbar starts calling for a retreat. And I love Lando's. Um, Handle have that shield time. We got to get him more time. It's just like yeah, yeah. it's like you just you just believe in Lando and and his belief in Han. Like I just I love how much of a hype man Lando is in that moment and how much he really trusts Han. Um, they have, I mean, he has no idea that they've aligned themselves with Ewoks now or anything like that, but he's just well aware that his buddy Han 
can get this done. And he has full confidence in that. And he's not ready to go. Um, and yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just, it's such a great, epically fun space battle. Um, and, and, and the land battle is so fun too, pulling in the Ewoks, you know, kind of this unlikely ally, um, who come to the aid of the rebels and it's, you know, it's everything about this, this land fight is specifically for the Ewoks. It's this struggle to be free. It's this, it, it, they're fighting the same fight. The rebellion has been fighting for years. And of course they join it and, and, and help win the day. Um, it's just, it's so fun. And again, you know, the, the battle of Endor is always going to probably be my favorite OT battle because mm-hmm. of the nostalgia of the ability, like where I grew up, I grew up with the woods all around me. So like to, the ability to go out into the woods and pretend I was an Endor and to take my little ATST toy out into the woods and, and cre- recreate the battle of Endor also endears this battle even more to me. Cause you've, you felt like you got to be a participant in it. And then of course, like we've been alluding to, you know, all throughout the, the start of the conversation going then to the actual Redwoods together and, making this mockumentary it's just like wow this this felt so much more real um so yeah yeah, battle of endor for sure is a reason i love return of the jedi oh man i'm so glad you mentioned this i'll have a specific portion of the battle um that i'll mention later in, in particular but just as a whole i think part of what what makes this battle so memorable because it is a three prong attack. It's a three prong battle with, you know, as you said, land, space, and the duel. Uh, and I think why it is so iconic, part of why it's so iconic, part of why it's so impactful and so continuously memorable is because it was edited together perfectly. Mm. Um, the flow of the, you know, cutting back and forth between the different battles uh, was you know, perfect from one to the other, one to the other, you know, as you kind of raise the tensions and the stakes every single time you cut from one section to another section, to the duel, to the space, to the land, everything was getting more intense. The stakes were getting higher. The music was getting more strained and, you know, everything is just getting more on edge and you're like, Oh, are they going to make it? Are they going to make it? Are they going to make it? And you're, you're on the edge of your seat going, Oh, they, they, you know, as Jin says, you know, we get one step and then the next and until the the one chance and then the next until the chances are spent. And we get to that point with the Endor battle where all the chances keep going in the Rebels' favor. And they keep managing to hold on and you're just at the edge of your seat waiting for it all to come together. And it does gloriously um, at the end. So... It's and it's expertly woven together in in a way that is very very difficult for any editor I think to do again. Uh, yeah. George Lucas makes these movies in the editing room, and uh, he did a lot of directing in the editing room on Return of the Jedi. Um, so I, I I get the idea that a lot of his fingerprints are in this battle. Uh, and him and the editors working together on that. But it's very difficult in a lot of movie, big epic movies where there's multiple battles or multiple sections of battles to kind of get it all to flow together in a way that makes narrative sense and uh, emotional sense at the same time. Um, in some cases, sometimes things go on too long. Sometimes it's just too fast moving or whatever, but it, it manages in Return of the Jedi to be about as perfect as you can get, in my opinion, um, for for a multi-stage battle edited together. Yeah. Um, so. I've never actually done it, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody has, but I'd be curious to see how it breaks down as far as screen time across the three fronts. My guess would be the land battle is the longest, and then maybe br- I feel like it's close though between the duel and and it's also tough because like are we because if you're talking just the duel right once Luke mm-hmm. actually pulls his saber but the battle's going on and, and you know see here boy <laughs> you know like right. like do we exactly. count that as part of that segment as well right so maybe it's a little bit tougher but I do think the land battles probably the longest um, which makes sense I, it's got our, it's so. got the most of our characters 
mm-hmm. also has the addition of the Ewoks. Um, you know, it, right? I, it, I, I and have then, to say, you know, of course, it and and the the amount of of each you know of screen time kind of fluctuates throughout the battle. You know, it's not evenly distributed throughout the whole thing because obviously the duel is very end heavy of this whole battle. Yeah. Um, you know, and so is the space battle um, because they're depending on what's happening on the ground to, to solve everything. Yeah. Know, give them the opportunity. Yeah. So, yeah. And if, if I had to like pinpoint um, a couple of um, particular moments across the two, the two battles, the moment when the Ewoks blow their, their battle horns and then they all, you know, just kind of boom appear. <laughs> yeah. And they just like appear out of those ferns. Oh, it's just, yes. it's so cool to me. Like it, it's, it's the perfect encapsulation. Cause for George, uh, both the, the battle of Endor was specifically the land battle is meant to be kind of indicative of Vietnam, right? That this very, um, under technologically developed force could overwhelm these, you know, very technologically advanced forces. Um, George has talked about that Ignazium, but I feel like that particular shot though, of them just kind of appearing out of the bushes and out of the trees. It's just the perfect way of showing like, yeah, this is, this is their land. They know it. It's, 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 it's part of who they are. It's part of their cultural identity. So of course they slipped right in there next to you without you even knowing. Um, right. Which is just so cool. And then in the space battle, I mean, this is the one shot I always wanted to see when we were supposed to get the 3D releases in theaters is, of course, the shot through the Falcon cockpit of just all the fighters swarming at oh. him, right when the trap is finally sprung. Yeah. And I, as I was watching as I watched that scene again uh, this evening, it just kind of made me think about how it's kind of a neat mirror of the opening shot of A New Hope, right? The this little rebel frigate being pursued by this this Goliath, and now in this moment you've got this this little fleet just about to be overwhelmed by the the might of the empire. So I just I felt like those shots do do a very similar thing insofar as just developing how overwhelming the empire is. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and it is overwhelming. Yeah, uh, I'll have a little bit more to say about that later. Um, but uh, are we ready for me to yeah, get my first moment here? Please. All right. Well, this is one that you mentioned last episode, um, so we don't have to spend too much time on it. But it is uh, the Pit of Carcoon uh, mm. battle, the battle over the Sarlacc Pit, um, which, of course, I have dubbed the Return of the Jedi, because this is where we really get to see the Jedi return in in a way that's you know makes a big splash. Luke Skywalker is stepping into his role as a Jedi Knight. Uh, whether or not he thinks he has that title yet or not is irrelevant because he acts like it. Um, and, you know, we've already seen him try to negotiate, but now it's beyond that. And he and his friends, uh, all the heroes, just get together for the first time since the end of, a, you know, A New Hope, uh, really, to to join forces and to defeat Jabba's gang. And we get to see Luke in all his glory as a Jedi, as we you know really get to understand how far he's come from uh, Empire Strikes Back and, and his defeat at Bespin. So, uh, and it's just a great moment, a great scene. The, you know, I will talk about it forever, but the, as a, about to begin and we get the the stabbing trumpet the horns Mm -hmm. yeah you know as we keep cutting between the different characters and then finally the the rebel theme swells up as the battle starts and our heroes just go at it and it's fantastic so uh the lightsaber ignites and we're off to the races um (laughs) yeah i i love it and getting to see each of the, the the heroes contribute uh, to the success uh, was is always a lot of fun. So, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I said my piece about it last week. It's 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 just great. It's super fun. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, if you want to hear a little bit more about it, uh, check out last week's episode. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I uh, I mentioned some stuff there too. So, yeah. uh, I, I I kept this one shorter because we already kind of talked about it last sure. week. But 
That's yeah. where this one ended up in my list. Uh, <laughs> what's your next one, Carl? Uh, my next one is the uh, – I just kind of titled it The Indigenous Culture of the Ewoks. Um, I, I was trying to you know, just think about, all right, what do I want to say about these, these wonderful – band of adorable Ewoks. Um, and there's, I mean, there's a lot of things I want to say, I mean, but ultimately I think what I really appreciate, what I've always appreciated most about the Ewoks and the reason I just immediately had a, a love for them, even as a child. Um, and I'm no, I'm sure I've shared this on the show in the past, but growing up, my, my father was really into like American history and specifically native American history. Um, and we grew up in a region of upstate New York where the, the Iroquois nation had, had a lot of influence. Um, I mean, not when we were there, but before us. Um, so like, that's always been a huge part of, of an interest for me. Um, so the first time I even saw return of the Jedi, I loved the Ewoks cause it was like, this is awesome. These are kind of like the native Americans of the star Wars world. Um, and there was just, something so noble and wonderful about them and um and then as i've grown up and learned more even about the creation of the ewoks so as i'm sure as almost everybody knows right the the ewoks were initially going to be wookies right the 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 final battle um of george's original the star wars screenplay was right this big epic battle on a on a native planet that was all the wookies um but George decided to change that. He wanted to go with something um, even more unlikely to beat the Empire, right? Like he wanted to, he wanted to pick something different. Um, and what's so neat is the the area that we've talked about already quite a bit, Jason, the, the Northern Redwoods in California. There, um, that had once been the traditional land of the the Miwok people, um, and that's where the name Ewok comes from. Is George actually just took the name of the original indigenous group of folks that lived there and and just kind of retranslated it into a Star Wars word, <laughs> but but they were known as the Miwok right. people, and it, they became the Ewoks, which I just think is really fascinating. That that George really wanted to pay homage to. Um, you know, to, to the to the beauty of indigenous cultures through the story of the Ewoks, um, and and that's the thing is like right like, you know, Jason, you and I weren't growing up in 1983, but right that was the first time people ever had an issue with Star Wars. Like, what's with these teddy bears? But I think people seem to forget just like the 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 beauty of actually what the Ewoks were. They weren't just they weren't yeah like yes they are cute as hell. Like, there's no denying that. Like, yes, they are adorable Absolutely. teddy bears, and they're also something great. And I think what I what I love so much about the Ewoks is there is just this sense of wonder and awe to the Ewoks, right? Like the first time we really meet them when they capture, you know, Han and Chewie and Luke, right? And, and 3PO appears like it. it, it <laughs> yes, it's, it's meant to be somewhat comedic, but it's also something indicative of the Ewoks is that they, they unlike a lot of cultures, they have not less lost their sense of wonder and awe, their ability to, uh, to accept the mysteries that exist in the universe. Um, so I just, I love that just in these little bits and pieces, like we get a sense of a fully fleshed out culture. Um, and again, you know, that that's, it's been my biggest indictment of all Disney star Wars is that there hasn't been any sort of really creative or imaginative alien cultures since, uh, Disney has taken over in my opinion. Um, and the, Ewoks- I would say that I would say the closest they've gotten is the Aki Aki on Pasana. Um, but I don't think we really got to spend enough time with them to really get them integrated into, you know, the, the lexicon, uh, unlike the Ewoks, unlike the Gungans, you know, and I I mean, they did great stuff with the Tuscans in book of Boba Fett, but that was already in a step. I mean, I mean, they re they reestablished who the Tuscans were, right? Like game kind of a less negative aspect. So I, I will say that, but they were already an existing culture. Um, but be that as it may, like I love, I mean, I love the stuff with the Ewoks where, where we are brought into their village and 3PO's bedtime story, right? It's a scene I've talked about <laughs> a lot over the years, but it's this beautiful moment where it's, it's not just, I mean, we always call it 3PO's bedtime story because that's the name of the track on the soundtrack. Um, mm-hmm. but it's more than a bedtime story. It's, uh, again, like it, it, there's, there's something about the Ewok culture where storytelling is wildly important to them, right? Like this is, this is a very meta moment in star Wars um, where three PO is retelling the story both to update the audience, but also to inspire the Ewoks and the Ewoks clearly find stories to be something sacred and something they want to participate in. So I love that. It's, about al- it's almost a literal call to adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just I, I love all those aspects that that the Ewoks bring to this story. 
Um, and you know, and and what's so exciting too is that they because of their inclusion here, we then get the the cartoon Ewoks, um, which I, to this day, season one of the Ewoks cartoon is like one of my favorite Star Wars things. It's so good. Season two's season two's good, but season one is awesome. Um, and then of course we get the two amazing made for TV movies in Battle for Endor and Caravan of Courage. Um, super fun, obviously children movies, but they're still super fun. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean. But in Return of the Jedi, I love that what helps win the ultimate victory over the Empire is this um, this race and this culture of people that really put value in the sacred, right? Ewoks are um, – they really believe that they're, they're, they're part of something bigger and important here. And, and I, I love that aspect of them. Yeah, it's, it's nice to, to have that uh... – featured and and uh developed as as part of their society and everything i think one of my favorite um sort of behind the scenes aspects in the development of the ewoks is their their language and Mm. um i forget where the woman was from i think she was somewhere in from china maybe uh but it was a dialect that was dying out um and they basically in order to not only, you know, get some, you know, language for, for the Ewoks, uh, they recorded her telling stories. And so a lot of the different, you know, voices and sounds and inflections is this, this same woman, um, you know, doing the voices of the different characters and people and the stories that she's telling, but it's also a complete record. It's, it's a, not a complete record, but it's a record of the stories of, the people that used to speak this dialect that no longer exists. Um, and so they, they were serving two purposes there. They, they, you know, were putting down a record uh, for, for these, these stories. Uh, but also they used a lot of that, uh, those recordings as dialogue for the Ewoks, which I just found fascinating and, and a really, really cool way to, to come to a solution. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a really awesome. I mean, it's technically legends, but there's a really great uh, graphic novel. I mean, I don't know if it's quite a graphic novel, but it's just a, a complete comic story, and it's called um, Shadows of Endor, and it actually uses some of the storylines from the Ewok cartoon, and it's it events that lead right up to the Return of the Jedi. And um, like we get to see Tebow be Logre's apprentice, um, which is something from the cartoon. I mean, it certainly doesn't appear to be that way in the movie, but that's fine. Um, but in the comic story, they Logre alludes a couple of times to the Golden One who looks over them. Um, so it kind of establishes that in the Ewok tribe, there is this this uh, prophecy of some kind about a Golden One who will who will come to their aid and help them become part of something wonderful. Um, and right, like, again, like the, the scene with 3PO, the way they worship him is clearly a comedic moment within the context of the story. But I think it also does, right. If, if we only let it be something to laugh at, I think it also diminishes the importance that the Ewoks really believed that someone was going to appear in their midst and they would have a big influence on, on the, on the galaxy. Um, so I really like that. Like, I think that's really quite awesome. It's, it is great. It's great. And it's funny to us because it's freaking 3PO right. who, who gets worshipped. Yes. Um, but, you know, it is it is interesting that, you know, we have a couple of prophecies now. There's a prophecy of the Chosen One, which is a big one uh, that gets talked about a lot. And then we have this little one on the Forest Moon of Endor where they're going to be able to help out and have a big impact uh, when the Golden One appears. Yeah. Appeared. So. I feel like imagine if they had started like doing that with R two, R two would have loved it. He would have played. R two would have. R two would have so thumbed hard. his nose at three PO. Yeah, so bad. <laughs> It'd be great. He would have been like, take these servants away. <laughs> He'd had a great time. Absolutely. With it. Yeah. He would not have had any qualms about impersonating a deity. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh, um, right. Well, what's next for you? Well, we're going to back up to kind of what you were talking about, but the it's my specific moment from the mm. Battle of Endor that's, yeah. that I wanted to talk about. And it is the beginning. Um, mm. Beginning of the Battle of Endor. And and it's hard for me to say just the space battle or, or just the, the land battle because it all 
mushes together. Um, but you know, we, we get the, the music that starts up as Han and the strike team burst into the, the shield generator bunker and they start planning the detonators. And then the rebel fleet arrives over the death star and Lando has figures out that, Oh, it, the shield's still up. Um, you know, and, and all of that stuff happens. The, you know, Han and the, the strike team get captured. The, Imperial fleet shows up and the battle starts, but everything just is so ramped up and just controlled chaos with the music just kind of driving all of that. And that whole first section of the battle is it just gets me so ramped up and excited for the rest of the movie. And once that once that part starts, I'm glued to the couch or the seat or wherever I'm at watching the movie. And I cannot leave um, until the battle is over. Mm. So like once that starts, once that music starts playing um, or, and, and, and the, the starfighters start coming out of hyperspace. I, I cannot look away. Uh, I'm stuck there and I, I will, I just get so excited and I sit at the edge of my seat the entire time. Um, reliving the battle as it happens. So, yeah, I've watched it so many times. I could give you the battle basically cut for cut, shot for shot. Um, and, and this start to it is a big reason why. So, (laughs) (laughs) oh, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's similar, uh, like in, um, Rogue One when they, when they head to Scarif and the Scarif battle opens, I feel like, it's impossible to take yourself away from that movie till it's over oh, yeah. at that point. Um, and I, that, I think that's a very valid thing here too with Return of the Jedi that as soon as that fleet comes out of hyperspace and the, that music kicks in and the tension builds. Um, yeah. I and mean, it's like also, you know, this party's over in Attack of the Clones, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. It, it's the same way. There's always that sort of like inciting moment uh, where you're just like, all right, well, I'm here for the rest of the movie. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, it's it's so like, you know, ev- everybody rolls into this fight thinking like we got this right. Like Lando and Akbar, they think the, the Empire has no idea they're coming. That shield's going to be down because Han and Han's down there. and They have no idea he's down there and that he's coming. Right. They really think they're pulling off this surprise. And then as that tension builds and everything just starts falling apart, you're like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the music just keeps ramping up and more and more intense. And it's almost like the heartbeat of all the rebels as they realize this is bad. Yeah. Uh, and how are we going to get out? So yeah, it's, it's fantastic. You, you cannot separate the music from this, this battle sequence. And in particular, the opening of the battle of Endor for me is, is inseparable from the music. Um, so much so that when I play the soundtrack and this track comes on, the movie's playing in my head instantaneously mm-hmm. in vivid living color. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I, that's a great moment to highlight. Yeah. Um, so, cool. all right. What about you? We got, we got two more each, Carl. Yeah. That's we our, we're going to start winding it down well what's what's your your next one i think uh i'm pretty sure you mentioned this last week um but i I, you may phrase it a little bit differently but i'm just going to call it the happy ending um that's always been one of the best parts of return of the jedi for me is the fact that we get a happy ending um and you know george was always so adamant that star wars was created as a fairy tale and fairy mm-hmm. tales end with happily ever after. Um, and, you know, like, I, I, I am not like a scholar of fairy tales. And I mean, I've heard things where that's not always true. That like, no, not every fairy tale happens, ends like that. But I don't know, all the ones I grew up hearing always had happily ever after. And I love that Star Wars <laughs> seemed to present a happily ever after. And I, I've actually come to appreciate it more now than even when I like as a kid growing up with this movie, I loved it. I was like, yes, the good guys won. Like they, they did what they set out to do. It wasn't easy, but they did it. You know, we can, we can do anything. 
Whereas so much of our culture today with storytelling is it, it's like it's like we're not allowed to use that. This idea of happily ever after is seen with such derision. Um, and I remember yeah. they posted an article about this literally in connection to Star Wars. I don't remember if it came out with Force Awakens or Last Jedi, but it, it was one of those fancy uh, magazines. But it was like there's no such thing as happily ever after. It's like that's not Star Wars. <laughs> like, yes, there is. <laughs> it was and right. Like, I get it. Like Return of the Jedi is such a perfect happy ending that any story you tell with seven is going to be difficult to tell. Right. Because it's going to have to somehow right. undo all of the beautiful threads that were sewn up. Um, but, you know, in 1983, George was done telling the story. He was exhausted. His marriage had just collapsed. He was done telling the story and he wanted it to end with a happy ending. And then when he finally finished the prequel trilogy, he was done. He, this is the story of Anakin Skywalker. My story is done. There will never be seven, eight and nine. Like this is the story I wanted to tell. And then, right. So all that to say, but, yeah. um, but I, I mean, I love that this gets a happily ever after. And, Right. Like I get it. I get that the world is not always uh, is not always kind. It's not always a happily ever after per se. But I think when we are told that that can't exist, that's kind of depressing. And that's also not true. Yeah, that's 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 just a it's just a new truth that society wants to kind of shove onto you um, is if that is if striving for happily ever after is, is a foolish thought. Um, and Return of the Jedi says, nope. There, it is such a thing and it's okay and it's good. Um, and you know, like it's, uh, when I was, when I was making my notes today, a a quote from the dark Knight came to mind at the end of the dark Knight, there's the voiceover from, from Batman where he says, sometimes people's faith deserves to be rewarded. And I feel like that's what return of the Jedi kind of does is the faith that we had in our heroes, the faith that they have in each other, um, and in, and and in their conviction that they're fighting the good fight, that they are doing what matters most, that that faith is rewarded at the end of this story. Um, you yeah. know, it's it's the story of this happy family who's been through hell together and comes out on the other side of it together, right? Um, yeah, they're beat up, they're banged up, they're certainly. Um, they're certainly going to be colored by the experiences and the, 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 the tragedies they have faced, but they still get to be together. Um, and, and even with the force ghosts, you know, um, Anakin, Obi-Wan and, and Yoda being together it, to me, that points to the fact that even beyond death, there is, there's happiness for those who are faithful to the light. Um, I love, I love this aspect of return of the Jedi. I love this aspect that, that the good can and will prevail. That's the story of that's that's the that's the story of Star Wars in general and Return of the Jedi in particular. Um, and I think that's why you know so many people continue to love that story. Um, and uh, you know, it's funny if you think about it now. Return of the Jedi is almost countercultural in 2022 because so many <laughs> right like they're just it's like we're not allowed to tell stories with happy endings. Um, right. You know, and, and, or, or like, even if, even if the good prevails, it has to come at such, I love Endgame, for instance, like Marvel Endgame is such a fantastic symphony of a movie. Um, but it still ends with like this really bittersweet, melancholy victory. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's beautiful in a different way, but Return of the Jedi was bold enough to just be like, nope, put your smiles on because this is great. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like yeah. even in that, that, that scene where Luke is staring at, you know, the, the, the Holy Trinity, if you will, of, <laughs> of the force ghosts, it's easy to just kind of right like Luke, Luke almost has this look of melancholy before his smile of like, you can kind of get lost in the cost of what all of this took. And then it's, again, it's Leia who comes in and brings him back. And it's almost like an invitation of like you can you can look at how hard the fight was and get lost in all of that tragedy or Mm -hmm. you can accept the fact that you came together and you found your sense of belonging with a community, with a family, with a group of friends. And you you've toughed you you got through it. You got through it together. Um, And I love that message of Return of the Jedi. And I think it's a message that we we deride too much today. Um, And and maybe this is just naive Carl still, but I don't care. Like I that's I mean, clearly it's one of my favorite elements of Return of the Jedi. It's baked right in there that 
it's okay to have a happy ending. Yeah, absolutely. I I love that, and and I I did frame it differently, and I want you know focused yeah. you know more in universe um, last week when I talked about it. But I one hundred percent agree with you that the idea of a happy ending uh, is not is, is seen as uh, trite and mm-hmm. you know a trope nowadays in Hollywood, and it seems like you can't have a happy ending without tarnishing it with some sort of sacrifice or some sort of something you know and uh, unless it's a romantic comedy uh you know in which case it's just full of tropes anyways so who right. cares <laughs> um you know but uh, in the idea of of star wars um i i love it 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 is, it is a great thing to have a happy ending because it says hey there is hope there's always hope for something like this and it is you know a, the quintessential fairy tale uh, you know, epic fairy tale like this, where there is a happy ending, uh, and they all lived happily ever after, as the storybooks used to say. And there's a reason why those storybooks are popular and have stood the test of time and keep coming back uh, uh, in different iterations over the years. And it's probably why Star Wars will continue to be that way, uh, you know for for many many generations so there there is that sort of hope and and expectation of it's going to be okay the good guys will get there in the end we may have some ups and downs uh but we're going to go ahead we're, we're going to get there and we are going to have this this wonderful moment where we can say hey we did it mm-hmm. so and and it's beautiful and wonderful and it brings warm feelings to my heart. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I love it. I'm glad you mentioned that. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, what's, what's next for you? Well, this is one that uh, I've had as a top moment for a long, long, long time. And, uh, this time around when we were talking about, you know, stuff, uh, it slipped because I picked a theme for my top moment rather than a moment. Uh, and I'm a Jedi, like my father before me is, uh, the, the moment that I want to bring up. It, it's still one of the, the most defining moments of the movie, you know, where, where Luke steps into his identity, identity, and at the same time claims Anakin's for, you know, as well as being legit and alive, um, and, it's it's fantastic, and it's the moment where Palpatine realizes that he's lost Luke. You know, Luke is not going to fall like Anakin did, uh, and he's not going to be able to use, you know, Vader or sister against Luke in order to make him turn. He's not going to be able to to get his claws into it into Luke like he did to Anakin. So uh, it's it's still such a powerful, powerful moment, um, you know, as he assumes the identity of a Jedi in front of the most powerful Sith in recent memory uh, and throws his weapon away at the same time. Uh, it's It's iconic. It's the way the Jedi should operate and ultimately it achieves the victory that they were all hoping for because it brought Anakin out of Vader and, you know, together they defeated the emperor. Mm. So it's, it's still such a, a fantastic moment that I would be remiss if I didn't mention it. Uh, and I love it, love it so much because it is it that and the, you know, staring off at the twin sons are the most iconic moments of Luke Skywalker for me ever. Yeah. So uh, it's. And I like this one more than the twin sons because it is the achievement of what he was wishing for and yearning for all the way back there on Tatooine. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't have this 
moment as a specific thing. I mean, it'll get it'll get touched on in my my final thing here in a moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, there's nothing. There's 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 very few lines more iconic in Star Wars than "I am a Jedi," like my father before me. Um, and yeah. as we've, I mean, we've talked about this scene a lot over the years, um, and, and we'll probably continue to over the, in the years to come. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> it, it, I, I mean, I like that, that framing you just gave it though, Jason, of that. It is kind of the fulfillment of that yearning that he was having in a new hope. Um, but there's a maturity to it, right? Like that, that was the, those mm-hmm. were the dreams of a young man. And this is this is the the statement of identity of a man who knows himself right um right and uh and 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 is defining what it means to be a jedi right uh i am a jedi because i don't choose violence um you know um it's yeah i mean it's just so good it's so good um and i as i was what you know i was rewatching the movie this evening you know when he it just kind of struck me and it, in a, in a new way, but when he says I'm a Jedi, like my father before me, when he says like my father before me, like he just kind of slightly turns his head to like acknowledge Darth Vader over there on the ground. Um, but yeah. it, I don't know why, but I'm just like, that's really cool that I, I don't know if that was direction that Richard Marquand or even George may have given to Mark, or if that was just a Mark Hamill improvisation. But I like that he, he, he is indicating his father on the floor, right? Like he is indicating that person, he was still alive, yeah. was once a Jedi. That's my father, right? Like just, just by giving that quick little physical mannerism, it's not just like the idea of my father, of you know Anakin Skywalker right. Jedi Knight, but no, no, no. That person over there on the floor, Emperor, I know that you think you own him, that he belongs to you, but I know who he was. I know who he is, and I'm, I am a product of that. Like it's just this, it's just such a beautiful moment. Yeah, you're right. It's not it's not the idea of Anakin. It is actually no Anakin Skywalker right there. Yeah. That man is my father. Yep. I accept that. I acknowledge it and I say he was a Jedi. Yeah. So Yeah. yeah. So good. It's great. It's a great little thing. Yeah. But and well and you it, got one more. Yeah, that ties directly into my favorite the the main reason I love Return of the Jedi is the story of redemption. Um and I think, again, with Return of the Jedi the way it is, the way it ends, even, whether you're looking at it from the context of 1983 or even 2005 with Revenge of the Sith, I think it's – if you look at Return of the Jedi just through 2000 – or just through the year 1998, before the prequels existed, the ending of Return of the Jedi's message is – no one is irredeemable, which I think is a very powerful message, a very powerful message. And I think it still means that. And in the with the inclusion of now the prequel trilogy, it means not only is anyone irredeemable, but and also love is always the way to bring people back from the dark. Right. Um, so, I mean, that was both of those things are true in both contexts. Um, but I would say mm. when Return of the Jedi originally comes out, right, like I think it must have turned audiences all on their heads. The idea that Darth Vader, the e- evil incarnate from episode four and even five. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. He can come back. Right. Like what a what a yeah. what a wild idea. What a bold concept that George had by 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 making that part of the story. Um, and then, of course, now with the prequel trilogy, um, you it, it also changes the fact that. The things that couldn't get through to Anakin, um, the, the way he was kind of blind to the power of, of love before him, finally changes him in, in episode six. Um, so, yeah, I, <laughs> to me, it's, it's one of the most important parts of Return of the Jedi and, and Star Wars in general. Star Wars has always been about redemption um, in mm-hmm. so many different contexts, and it's taken on many different shapes and forms and it's beautiful, but it all started here. Um, and, uh, I was, I was rewatching a couple of George Lucas clips about return of the Jedi, uh, today. And, uh, one, one of my favorite interview series is the ones he did with Leonard Moulton. Um, and they, they're, they're at the beginning of the VHS tapes from, uh, 95. They're the ones with the, the Darth Vader, uh, stormtrooper and Yoda faces on the cover. Um, and in those interviews for Return of the Jedi, he talked about how 
um, because uh, these interviews were happening and I, they were, I think they were recorded in probably 94 or 95. And George was talking about how he was just starting to write the prequel story. And he said, you know, by the end of Return of the Jedi, you realize that this is really all along. It was the story of Anakin's redemption, which I, again, as, as any of us know, George is a huge redact- redactionary history person. That is not yes. true in 1983. Yes. This was never his original intent. That was his intent going back, reading backwards. Hindsight is 2020, George. Um, but, uh, right. but be that as it may, what it just kind of struck me is that when he was saying that, when he was making these comments, it was like, oh yeah, Return of the Jedi though, the, the fact that the the mask comes off and we see Anakin as a human person who's broken and flawed and, 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 and traumatized. It opens this, the idea of like, wow, what was his story? Who was he before that? Right. And, and George talks about mm-hmm. to, to Leonard Moulton, you know, he basically says, now I get to tell the story about a man's fall from grace. Cause he was like, he, you know, he's adamant. This, this story is about the, the redemption of this character. Now I want to tell the story of his fall from grace. And, you know, so in an interesting way, Return of the Jedi also opened the door for a prequel trilogy um, because it made it made you wonder who was this man beforehand. Um, Right. So I just I I thought that was really neat. Um, But, yeah, you know, what it takes is, you know, a scene you and I love to talk about as well, Jason, from this movie is is that that wonderful uh, balcony catwalk scene on Endor between Luke and and Darth Mm. Vader. And and yeah. and in that scene, it's really Luke trying to convince his father to come back. He's he's using yeah. words. He's trying to reason with him. It's not enough. Um, it takes a very dramatic expression of love. the The throwing away of the lightsaber is both a rejection of the emperor, but it's also an affirmation of the goodness of his father. Um, that his father doesn't deserve to just be put to death because he's more than all the mistakes he's made. And Luke sees that. Um, and, and I love that. I mean, and again, that's, that, will be a, that will be an evergreen theme for all of human history. Stories throughout human history are always about the goodness of even broken people. Um, you know, and uh, so, yeah, it's, it's such an important concept um, in, in this movie. Um, and, you know, that example Luke sets for Anakin there at the end, um, it's, it's a reminder to Anakin that you can be stronger than the darkness. Um, and when he does that and, and, and Anakin watches his son being slowly cooked to death um, with electricity, it awakens, it awakens that, that fighting spirit in Anakin, that spirit to protect the ones he loves. Um, yeah, that's what Anakin was always about in episodes one, two, and three. He was always about protecting the people he loved. Um, and here he rises to that occasion because Luke sets the example. Um, and, yeah. uh, yeah, that'll probably always be my favorite part of, you know, part, part and, and element to return of the Jedi. It's such a great theme, you know, the theme of redemption. And I, I won't talk too much about it. Um, but it is great that, you know, we're able to, while Return of the Jedi in and of itself, back when it first came out, was still an impactful thing uh, with this redemption story, it's still great that we're able to go make it even more so with the existence of the prequels and the tragedy uh, of the fall of Anakin Skywalker. And, mm. you know, this character that we, we grew to love and, uh, you know, and enjoy and, you know, it's so heartbreaking to see him fall uh, to to the depths that he ends up falling to, um, and to see him come back, you know, even from the this this character that we see broken out of his shell uh, in that you know that episode of Kenobi, you know, telling Obi Wan that Anakin is dead uh, is heartrending and to think that that person is able to come back you know 15 you know years later to who he was before is almost mind-boggling you know it, it's almost unbelievable mm-hmm. but it happens yeah and that's the amazing thing so i love that theme i love that theme so much and it it kind of fits with with the the theme i wanted to bring up uh, for my last moment too, 
Uh, but I kind of took it from a different perspective and sort of applied it to a lot of the different situations that we've already talked about and, you know, the scenarios um, with Return of the Jedi. And that is the triumph of the underdog. Mm. You know, Return of the Jedi is an underdog story yeah. because everything that our heroes have to do and, and accomplish is way over their pay grade and way over you know what there's what they should on paper be able to take on uh you know a, a trio of half a dozen heroes take down jabba's entire uh palace guard um the rebel fleet is minuscule compared to the imperial fleet and yet they're able to hold out against the fleet and take down the star destroyer the ewoks you know as we mentioned earlier are able to take on stormtroopers and walkers and come out victorious. You know, the rebels on the planet are able to do that as well. Luke is able to uh, take on Vader and the Emperor, redeem Anakin, and defeat Palpatine at the same time. Return of the Jedi is just repeat with the victory of the underdog, the triumph of the underdog uh, throughout the entire movie. And it's just a big, you know, a big theme that we all get, you know, engaged for is the, is an underdog story. We all love an underdog story. And so when the underdog finally is able to, you know, rise up, you know, past what they should be able to accomplish mm-hmm. in order to to claim the victory or defeat their foe or, or whatever it is, you know, it's always such a triumph, not only for the characters, but for us, the audience, because we're hoping that they're going to be able to do it. Um, and, and it's just, it return of the Jedi keeps doing it over and over and over and over again throughout the whole movie. And it's, it's wonderful to kind of keep getting that reinforced. And it, you know, it, it is the impossible thing that they're all, you know, everything has to go perfect for this to work. And they, they keep managing to hit that one chance, the next chance and the next chance, uh, by the skin of their teeth, uh, in order to do it. But we, we get that. And it's almost, you know, to put it in universe, the force has to be the reason why it all works in the end. You know, the force has to be involved, I think in order to, set it all right because the imperial fleet should have been able to wipe out the rebellion without a problem yeah you know the an entire legion of my best troops awaits them on the sanctuary moon and you know the an entire legion should be able to crush a small rebel strike team and a cadre a whole tribe of teddy bears at the same time <laughs> you know without batting an eye or or blinking a helmet um, you know, the, you know, Luke shouldn't have been able to defeat Vader and the Emperor at all. You know, he shouldn't have been able to redeem Anakin Skywalker. None of that should have been possible, but it happened. Yeah. And, you know, you have to kind of get the idea that, that maybe there's something else at work. Maybe the force is actually, you know, there's been enough of, of the manipulations of Palpatine and the rise of the empire and the force is ready to put things right. And it's taking all of these things lining up and just pushing them up and over the edge to help them along to put the galaxy to rights again. Uh, and, and I think, you know, the, the will of the force is an interesting thing that we've talked on and off about, um, but it's moments like this where you kind of get the idea that maybe the force does have an actual will and it does use thing, you know, people and circumstances and, you know, stuff like that to wield its influence a little bit in order to, you know, put things right. So uh, that was just something that, you know, watching it again in preparation for all this, I just kept getting hit over and over and over with the head with the the triumph of the underdog in, in the entire movie. And it was just something that I was like, this is amazing. So it, it yeah. made me grin every single time. Yeah. So. No, I love, I love that you're keying in on that. You know, if, if you really want to, if, if you want to be, uh, 
really push it. You can say the prequels is the story of the underdog winning. I mean, it was one Sith Lord against an entire legion of Jedi, and he beat him. <laughs> you know, it's, he it's was the true. underdog. <laughs> so you're not wrong, uh, <laughs> but uh, let's 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 stick with the one in Return yeah, of the Jedi. No, no, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, right. like I mean, from the shot I mentioned with the the, the swarming ties on uh, climbing on top of the Falcon to you know, I mean, this absolutely is the story of the underdog. Um, and yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I think I feel like so many folks that love Return of the Jedi and and you and uh, I have several other a couple other friends who put Return of the Jedi as their favorite Star Wars movie. And it's it's easy to see why, you know, I mean, it's it's one of the most uplifting movies I've ever seen, not just Star Wars. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, from the happy ending to the underdogs winning. It's it's just it's a triumph. Um, and it's it's the, so the fun to watch story. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's it's essential. I mean, at the end of the day, Return of the Jedi is one of the boldest Star Wars movies because it's bold enough to say that no matter how small you are, no matter how insignificant you may feel, no matter how broken you might be, you can still win and have a happy ending. That's I think exactly. I almost feel like Return of the Jedi is one of the boldest Star Wars movies because of that. Like Empire is wonderful, but um, and it ends on that signature of hope. But uh, you know, it it is really about how you just lose. <laughs> you know, but Return of the Jedi is bold yeah. enough to say that even enduring the things that you lose, it's you know. Endure them because you can win. You right. Know? And Return of the Jedi isn't as impactful without Empire. Absolutely. You know, you need, yeah. to, you need to go through yeah. an Empire Strikes Back in order to make a Return of the Jedi matter in the way that it does. Yes. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing to remember is that, you know, while we're talking about Return of the Jedi and, you know, in these things, and these themes that we're, uh, that we're highlighting – it's important to remember that a lot of those themes are important and are so impactful because they are informed by the rest of the trilogy and the saga around it uh, in order to make these themes pay off in the way that we're really digging into. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, you, uh, you well, can't yeah. have a, a climactic, you know, edge of your seat celebration at the battle of Endor without the complete destruction of Hoth. Yeah. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, well, and so there you go, folks. There, there are just some of the many reasons we love Return of the Jedi. Um, and as yeah. always, you know, always love to hear what, what others love about this movie. Um, you know, so let us know. Let us know, especially if there's something about Return of the Jedi you really love that neither of us brought up. You know, it's, I always love hearing things that people love that aren't particularly on my list. Um, not yeah. necessarily because they're things I don't like, but it's just they don't hit me the way they hit other folks. So I'm always curious to hear. And in, in regardless, even if you've got moments that we mentioned, but you just want to tell us, we'd love to hear it. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we're we're always uh in the mood for some return of the Jedi love. Uh, well, we're always in the mood for some star Wars love, but right now it's return of the Jedi. So, so join in on, <laughs> yeah. on the love fest for return of the Jedi, please. Yes. <laughs> By all means. And, uh, Carl, if people want to, to chime in, uh, on why they love return of the Jedi, where can people get in contact with us? Well, we are on Instagram at the Wampus Lair. You can also follow us on Twitter at Wampus Lair. You can always email us at wampuslairpodcast at gmail.com. Excellent. Anything else before we close down this episode? I just sure love Return of the Jedi, Jason. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everyone, so much for listening to this episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This has been episode number 478, Why We Love Return of the Jedi Part 2. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampus Lair.